0: Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning, we will look at the most quoted passage in all of Scripture, in all the churches of every denomination. As Jesus teaches his disciples a model prayer, you probably know it as the Lord's Prayer. But do you know what it really means? Well, today we're going to quickly unpack this beautiful example for teaching the disciples how to pray. Thanks for listening.
1: When I like to get my prayer on uh, there's some things I keep in mind Um, I think it's totally awesome that uh, God is like Santa Claus and he wants to give you the things that you want therefore you need to keep lists of things my list currently has 745 prayer requests on them so then when I go to the Lord in prayer it looks a little something like this I'll just pray real quick Um, let's see the uno thing on my list is my mom and so I'll pray for her now dear heavenly father I lift up this sweet salt-of-the-earth lady that you have blessed me with to be my mother, and I tell you thank you. And although I know that I'm called to respect her, and I give her all due respect, there's also an issue of something she truly needs, and that is to stop a yapping. Lord, she yaps, and she doesn't know how to stop yapping, so could you please make her mute just for a day? Nothing permanent. Don't hurt her. I love her. Just mute her. Take your big god remote and push mute on her channel. That would be great. His fourth, I would go on and pray all seven hundred and forty-six things.
0: I thought that was a little comical, um, a little dangerous playing a clip like that with your mom in church. But <laughs> makes me uh, makes me wonder what else was on his list. Right, seven hundred and forty some odd things to pray for. Uh, you know what, the truth is that sometimes we struggle in prayer and don't always understand even how to come to God properly in prayer. Did you hear how we started out? Oh, what did he say? God is like who? Did you? God is like Santa Claus? Yeah. And, and sometimes we actually have that cultural misperception in how we think of God. That somehow God's plan is simply just to meet our needs and our wants and... You know what? Some of us are guilty at times of going to God and praying for your spouse. Just have her stop yapping or have him start doing the dishes or whatever it might be. But you know what? God has a much greater plan for us, for prayer, to transform our hearts. Not to be Santa Claus before us, but to use prayer as an example of how we can be transformed, to look more like his son. This was part of the problem even back in the time when Jesus lived uh, when the disciples would pray and when uh, others would pray, especially those who thought they were very religious, they went about it in a way that was incorrect, not knowing the right way to pray. The disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, this is what we're looking at this morning. It's, it's called the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew's Gospel. And I invite you to turn there with me. I'm, turning, I'm calling this message uh, the prototype for prayer. A prototype is a its a beginning, it's a starting place. And as we look at this uh, passage in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6, uh, what I want us to see is that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he doesn't give them a rote rep- repetition, a, a repeated prayer to offer. I, I want us to look at this in the way in which Jesus meant it, because I... I, from my own life, could confess to you that I never really understood the Lord's Prayer. I knew the Lord's Prayer, and I I grew up in a church where every Sunday we would pray the Lord's Prayer, but sometimes I didn't even get the words right when I was real young. And then even as I got older, I didn't even understand what they meant. Maybe it is even today that we don't fully understand the Lord's Prayer, which is what I want us to look at. Now, this is a sermon that would probably take me six weeks to do properly. Uh, We don't have that much time this morning, so we're going to do a flyby. All right, We're going to do a high-level look at this prayer. And if you have anything that comes from this sermon that you have more uh, questions about, please come see me afterwards because there's so much packed in this prayer that Jesus offers. As one who grew up saying the Lord's Prayer and not always knowing what it meant, I'd like to share with you again just this short clip. as Micah was in preschool and his little three-year-old prayer there touches my heart every time. But did you hear how he didn't even quite know what he was saying? Anybody here testify to that? Sometimes maybe guilty on the Lord's Prayer that we we say it week after week. But i got to propose the question, do we know what we're saying? Do we know what we're praying? If you have your Bibles, look with me here in Matthew chapter 6. Let's just begin here in verse 5, and we're going to work our way to verse 9. He says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing on the synagogues with the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. That's the context around the Lord's Prayer. The background before Jesus says, our father who art in heaven. And I want you to pay attention to verse 9. Look what he says. This then is, what's your Bible say? Yeah, notice it does not say, and I, this is one of my main points in the message this morning. It does not say this is what you are to pray. It says this is how you are to pray. That what Jesus lays out for us is a prototype of a prayer. It has sections in it that we are to follow. One thing I noticed when I got to Bible college a little later in my life, it just this impacted my life and I... Uh, became aware that I was was praying something that I didn't fully understand. And so I began the practice of actually paraphrasing the Lord's Prayer under my breath, as everybody else was saying it, the normal way to say it. And we can see very early on in church history that the Lord's Prayer is something that was co-opted into the liturgy, into the worship practices of the local church. The danger of that is... That something that we just do week after week after week after week can lose its meaning. And we forget the reason why we're praying this. Do you remember how Jesus started out right here in Matthew? Don't be like the, those guys on the street corners looking for glory themselves. And also don't be like the pagans who just carry on talking, babbling on and on. Instead, this is how you should pray. I'd like us to look at this <clears throat> um, again It's just so much to be said here. Um, I'm dividing this section in verse 9 through 13 as our main text for this morning into two sections. The first is adoration with just a little wink at Thanksgiving. And the second section is supplication with just a little wink at confession. Do you you remember those four sections from last Sunday? Uh, Tell me the acronym that that spelled that I put up here. What was it? Cats, right? What was C? A- T. S. Supplication. That's right. And you can you can switch up the letters. You can switch up the order if you want. But what do you always need to keep at the end? Supplication always comes at the end. Your requests to God always come at the end. And Jesus follows the same pattern. He uh, he understands as well that when you go to God, you practice a transformation in how we understand God before we get to our requests for him. So two sections, adoration at the beginning, and then in verse 11, 12, and 13, we have the supplication. Look at the first one. This, then, is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. He begins here by recognizing God in a title that they didn't often use. In fact, I don't know if we often use this. When we pray to God, I want you to notice that Jesus did not say, uh, pray to our God, our divine ruler, uh, our sovereign king. Our creator, could he have said those things? Are those correct things? Yeah, but he doesn't. He chooses the title for God that's personal. Not only does he choose a personal, uh, personal uh, the, the first word, our, right? Because it belongs to you. Whose father is it? Our. It's our, so it's, it's this personal connection. Our father. But he uses the title father to recognize somebody who is caring, who is protective. Who watches over you? Unfortunately, this is not always true in the families that we live in. That we could see how fathers sometimes act. This first section provides for us the correct perspective. Our Father in heaven. Now, more than just being a personal God, our, more than just being a caring Father, it's also unifying. You put those two words together. Our Father. Whose Father? Say mine. Yeah, it's mine too. Yeah, that when we go to God in prayer, this style of praying is unifying. Question Does the church need unity, yes or no? Yes, yes the church needs unity. So we pray our Father, not just my Father. Our Father. And the last section here that we see in this perspective is identity driven. Our Father, where? Yeah. Who is in heaven. That we recognize this is the God to whom we pray for. Or pray to. He is in heaven. And in being in heaven, he watches over us. He's personal. He's caring. It's unifying. And it's identity driven. So the first part of prayer here is providing a correct perspective. The second part that Jesus moves into is to help us with correct worship. Notice what he says about our Father. He says, hallowed be your name. Two points I want to bring out here. The idea of his name is a reflection upon who he is. God's name is a reflection upon who he is. Uh, Parents out there, have you ever had your kids acting in such a way that you knew you were going to give them a can another hide when they got home? Come on, give me an amen, mom and dad, right? You know what I'm talking about. That they represent you. That they carry your name out into this world. They're a reflection of who you are. When we look to God's name, it's the exact same idea. That we are a reflection of God's name because God's name is a reflection of who he is. It's interesting that when people want to use um, the worst of the worst kind of curse words, you know, when something goes really bad, they strike their thumb with the hammer. Oh, Mohammed. Is that what they say? (laughs) Uh, Buddha. Uh. No, they denigrate the name of Jesus Christ because the height that can be seen For the glory that ought to belong to his name is referenced in the negative to make his name into a curse word. This is where God will put in the Ten Commandments. You shall not take my name in vain because his name is a reflection upon who he is. How are we doing carrying God's name, church? When people look at us as his children, are we carrying his reputation properly? The other word here I want you to look at is the word hallowed. We don't really use that word too often. It simply means to make holy or to revere, to make holy. When Isaiah sees the vision of God seated on the throne, he listens to the angel's de- declaration. And what do the angels say again? It's, it's, a, tri- it's a triune declaration that God is what? Holy. 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 holy, holy, holy. That above any attribute that we would identify to God, holiness Is the key attribute. He is separated from us. In our world. In our sinfulness. In our transgressions. He is not like us in that way. He is holy. We as his children pattern our life after him. But when we pray. We need to worship him properly. We need to get a correct idea of worship. To pay attention to God's name. And to make sure that it is revered, that it is lifted high as the key attribute in the nature of God as hallowed, as holy. I'll be honest with you, my greatest fear as your pastor is that I, in some way, would give a poor presentation of God's reputation. That's why I need you to pray for me. Do you know that I'm a sinner? I don't know if you know that, but I'm just here to confess, church. And that though I have had maybe training and though I'm put in a position here to expound upon God's word, my greatest fear is that as a leader for God, I carry his reputation. I would love that to be shared with all Christians. That we think as we go through this world, the way people look at us is a reflection upon the name that we carry hallowed be thy name. May my life pattern after that. This third section needs that we need to see a correction in rulership. As Jesus moves now, he changes the personal pronoun from our to your, and he says, whose kingdom? Your kingdom come. This is a perspective of God's royal rulership. Not your kingdom come, His kingdom come. We need a change in how we think of this. I I would submit to say to you that so many of us in our world today are pining after whose kingdom? Who are you working for? I think the majority of people in our world are working for themselves. And that brainwashing of living in this world, it just floods its way right into the church. So we begin to think this way. That the, the endeavor of our lives has Sunday. Well, I give Sunday to God, but Monday, I got to work for what I need and I got to build my kingdom. It might sound stark to you, but that's true. I believe if we were honest for how the spirit would speak to us this morning, you'd recognize there are many ways in which my life is really pandered around my desires. Time out here. Who's the ruler? Is it you? It's God. Correct rulership recognizes it's not my kingdom. It's his kingdom that needs to come. It's not my agenda that needs to come. It's not my goals that need to be achieved. It's God's goals that need to be achieved. It's a difficult thing. Even in Jesus's day, it was a difficult thing, but such a harder task in our world that we live in today, especially in a country that is as blessed as the United States. You can look to other countries where they have less and you will find a testimony on their lips far faster than I've seen in America to say that I live for God today. Can you say that? Is that is that a habit of your life that when you wake up in the morning, you recognize that you're not on your own kingdom agenda, but you are on God's kingdom agenda. He mentions it now in this third or fourth section, which is really just a continuation of the of the third but I, I'm recognizing that we need to have a correct mission in, in view as well. So when he says, your kingdom come, he recognizes immediately after that, that it is a process of exchanging of the wills. Whose will? God's will. God's will needs to be done. Now, the point that I want to show, up, show us here is really what I think has been a problem contemporarily in how we've learned the Lord's Prayer. When I grew up, we, we had a cadence to it. We had a pause where we would say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I was in the Bahamas, uh, they changed that. They, they have a different cadence to how they recite the Lord's Prayer. It threw me off and probably kind of still throws me off because we're so used to saying it. I would love us to, to delete the gap between your will being done and on earth. Do you see how I have it written here? It's just one line. It's just one sentence. Even if your Bible breaks it apart, it ought to be a single thought. Your will be done on earth. Put the pause there as it is in heaven. Question, is God's will accomplished in heaven? Yes or no? It is immediately, instantly. Heaven sees the world as it's supposed to be. And it's the problem of how his will is executed, not in heaven, but on earth. My dad had a phrase that he taught me when I was a kid. It was, uh, as now, so then. Say that with me. Ready? As now, so then. And really what that meant is, uh, if you keep putting stuff off, you're always going to put it off. Right? So as now, so then. Meaning, whoever you want to be like, whatever you want to become, you should practice that now. And you will be then. As now, so then. I think Jesus just reverses it right here. Heaven's coming someday, right? New creation is coming someday. It has already begun in your hearts. So how about this? As then, so now. However it is going to be in heaven. However it's going to be one day where sin no longer plagues us, where we no longer suffer, where those that we love no longer hurt. Let's strive for that reality today such that God's will will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. As then, so now. That's the calling to the believer. And really it's a major question of an exchange of the wills. It's not our will. It's not your will. It's his will that needs to be accomplished. And it works fine in heaven. There's no problem with God and the structure in heaven. The problem is in these dark hearts of ours. So to recognize correct rulership is then secondarily, but I believe more importantly for the calling and the task of the believer to get a correct vision of our mission. Church, you are left here on earth for a purpose. God could have saved you and taken you straight to heaven. You'd have no problem with this. You'd say, your will is done, right? Because I'm in heaven. But you're not in heaven yet. You have a portion of heaven living in you right now. You've been redeemed on the inside. And the task of the church, the task of the believer, is to let that reality flow forth from your life to begin to change the world around you such that his will will be done where? Say it loud. His will will be done on earth. earth. As it is in heaven. I want us to change that. This is probably the second main point I want to emphasize this morning. Two many points. I'm rushing to my conclusion already. But number one is this. The Lord's Prayer ought not to be something that we just recite. It's a model for praying. And then number two, we've got to change our mission. Thy will be done on earth. Amen, church? Thy will be done on earth. Just as it is in heaven. we got to get rid of that little gap. We have to delete the gap in how we... Recite the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. All right, next section here as we've looked at adoration. And now Jesus moves into the section of supplication. Recognizing the need for requests and that we do live as those who are dependent. The first section here is a request for provision. He says these words, give us today our daily bread. There's so much that I could say about this, but just to look at this idea of daily bread. It doesn't say weekly, it doesn't say yearly, not 10-year plan. It is what, church? It's daily bread. Again, the brainwashing that we have in this world is all planning, future planning. Now, all right, be good stewards, absolutely. But understand this, you are not promised more than the breath you currently have. So live ready. You don't know the hour or the day of His return, and You don't know the number of grains of sand in the hourglass of your life. You don't know if you've got more on the top than on the bottom or more on the bottom than on the top. You don't know. So you need to live ready. Guess what? Today is what you have. And the promise is to provide for today. Here's a great little quip that I heard. It says, prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. Prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. Do you need God today? It's a good question. It's a good question. I think one that we need to think a little bit harder about. Uh, this past week was the National Prayer Bre- Breakfast in Washington. How many people caught some of that on the radio? Uh, uh, extremely proud uh, to be an American. Listening to how prayer was so emphasized in the speaker was fantastic at that. If you have the opportunity, to, I invite you to look it up somewhere and listen to it. I think it's on YouTube even. Fantastic keynote message uh, given at the National Prayer Breakfast. The speaker said this, genuine prayer must come from a position of need. Genuine prayer must come from a position of need. I love hearing that from America. Because you know what? We don't think we need too much sometimes. We're we're not the have-nots in America. We're not. You can look just about anywhere else in in this world and find them. We're the haves. And a lot of people today don't think they need a thing. A lot of people today... Don't think they need a thing. So let me ask you the question. Just by response with amen, let me ask you, do you need God for your health? Amen. couple people. All right. Uh, do, do you need um, God's help in your finances? Amen. amen. Come on now. Give me a. All right. All right. Uh, do you need God's help in your family? Amen. All right. What about this? Do you need God's help to get home from church today? Amen. amen. Do you need God's help to get out of the pew even to go to the fellowship over? Do you need God's help for your next breath? Amen. See, it's very easy for us to think of just these big things. Oh, big needs, right? But we forget. you know what? I am dependent for my next breath on God. Daily, daily needs. I need God not just for helping my finances and my family and in my future. I need God. Say today. I need God today. today. I need God today. And so when it moves into this moment now to change your prayer from adoration to supplication, the very first place is recognizing a request for provision. God, I need you to provide for me today. My needs just for today. Now, I'm not saying take off the table. Those things that are in the future. You pray for those as well. But you recognize the change in how we think. To say that, God, I am dependent, not just on the big things for you. I am dependent even for my next breath. And that's a change how we think. We don't often think like this. After this, he says a request for mercy. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You might catch the little wink of confession in there. Where was confession? Forgive us our, our sins, our our debts, yeah, I, I like to look at that word only just briefly in luke 's gospel it 's recorded as sins in matthew's here, they use a little bit of a different word it 's actually a financial word uh, having to do with something that remains outstanding, something left to be paid, something that 's owed. Anyone in here um, uh, need someone to owe you an apology? you You owe me an apology, man, for what you did, for what you said. You owe me. Now, do those tend to be big things or little things? They tend to be little things. Uh, th- there's another word that's used in the Lord's Prayer in many transli- uh, uh, traditions. Instead of sins, instead of debts, what is it? Yeah, you can always tell uh, when folks come to visit because we pray, um, forgive us our sins. And there's a few, right? You, you hear <laughs> the trespasses sometimes when people, don't, they're used to saying it trespasses. But that's, a, that's an excellent word for it because you know what a trespass is? It's not a big thing. It's a little thing. And one of the problems in church is that, and, and just as people, we love to keep the little things stored up. We love to, oh, that didn't, no, that didn't bother me. No, I'm, I'm fine. We just keep them stored up. And what happens when you begin to store something up and store something up and store something up? Especially something stinky and smelly. Right? Yeah, we had uh, some baby diapers that stayed in the trash can a couple days too long. Right next to the fridge, whoo, couldn't, couldn't quite tell what that stank was, but it was something. They weren't big, it was just a little diaper, right? But they started to, started to mess up life, you know what they do? They, they started to ruin the experience of life. We need to be the kind of people who don't hold on to the little things, the little things that we're owed. You, you just owe me a little bit. Just, I, you, you're wrong to me, right? You owe me an apology, or, or you owe me just a small thing. I forgive others. I forgive others. Now, the word that I really want you to look at here is the phrasing of it. When Jesus says this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, he puts a condition on this. Uh, again, just for sake of time, I, don't, I can't get into all of this, but your homework is to read verse 14 and 15 and how this relates with forgiveness because that's a big issue for Jesus because what will not happen is God won't come and erase all of your... All of your debts, all of your little transgressions, if you're holding on to someone else's. He won't. Your sins will remain if you're the kind of person that wants to hold them against other people. That's why it's phrased this way. Forgive us as we forgive. So the measure, the extent to which we forgive others is the same measure, is the same extent to which God will forgive you. And I hate hearing it, right? I hate hearing it. Well, I forgive them, but I ain't never gonna. God forbid. I God forbid you get to heaven someday and Jesus says, Oh, I forgive you, but I ain't never gonna forgive. Because <laughs> that's the same measure you extended to your brother or to your sister. We need to learn to forgive church. We need to learn to let go of those little things. Sometimes that requires confrontation. Sometimes it does. And we need to be gracious to hear people out. You you, you need to forgive me. I open my mouth in church more than anybody else. So uh, I'm going to step on toes and put my foot in my mouth more than anybody else. And you know what you need? You need grace. You need grace for that. You need to be quick to forgive. I need to be quick to forgive. If ever something is said by me or anybody, we need to be quick to come and confront in love and in respect. God wants you to do the same thing with him, to be quick to come and to confess To be quick to give grace, just like God is quick to give grace. Forgive us our sins, just as we forgive those who sin against us. It's a request for mercy. And then finally, lastly, is a request for grace. So provision, mercy, and grace. Look how Jesus finishes. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I struggled with this one for a while, and I struggled with that conjunction. Why does it it say but? Why does it not say and? Does anyone else think it should say and? I had to go back to the Greek on this and be like, some translator goofed this up, right? The Zondervan got it wrong here because this should say and, right? You know, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. But it doesn't. It says but. And here's the reason why. This word for temptation is also correctly translated as testing. In fact, if you wrote that down in your Bible, that's an accurate way of translating. Uh, Lead us not into testing. Here's the deal, though. Testing going to come. It's going to come. So lead us not into that direction. is the same type of prayer as Jesus praying in the garden, take this cup from me. But then what's the conjunction? He says right after that. But, thy will be done, not my own. That's the same idea here. Is that we in this world will face temptation. It's the results of those testing that we need God's help for. Which is to do what? Deliver us from from evil. So that conjunction is in there because Jesus understands that testing is going to come. The Bible says that God is not tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. So this isn't God's work of doing the tempting in your life. It's a result of those who are redeemed living in a sinful world. You're going to be tested. You're going to have hard times. Temptations are going to come. So we pray, lead us not into them, but when they do... I pray you deliver them, deliver us from them. One commentator put it this way. He says, and just paraphrasing this prayer, he says, do not lead us into a testing of our faith that is beyond our endurance. But when testing comes, deliver us from the evil one and his purposes. The devil is a tempter. He'll tempt you most often with lies. And he, those lies will most often revolve around misunderstandings in interpersonal relationships. Anybody give me an amen on that? Anybody here amen. ever have a misunderstanding between somebody that then turned into something that it shouldn't? That now I think of that person in this way and the devil sits back and grins because the result is now division. The purposes of the evil one have been accomplished. Oh, Lord, deliver us from evil. I'm going to be tested. I'm going to be tempted. Don't give me more than I can endure. And then when it comes, I pray that you will deliver me from the evil one and deliver me from his purposes. And church, God will do that. God will answer that prayer. He will not allow something to come into a life of one of his children who are seeking to walk after him that will be destructive. Even if it looks bad in your life, the Lord will use it. Amen, church? The Lord will use the bad in your life and in mine for his glory. It's just a measure of us trusting in Him. And you should pray the way that Jesus taught you to pray. Lead me not into that direction. But when those things come, I pray you deliver me from the purposes of the evil one. From the results of evil that come in my life. All right. to conclude this, just two main points and breaking down the second one. Uh, The first is this. The Lord's Prayer is a prototype for prayer. It's a starting place for us to pray. It is not something that should be recited as a magical incantation for God's blessing. If you did it wrong, God's not going to bless you. Now, I've got the Lord's Prayer wrong before. Don't leave me hanging up here, church, right? That's a, it's easy to get wrong. What we need to do is move beyond the place where even you heard my little three-year-old son praying it, where it's just the words. I don't even know what I'm saying. We need to take the Lord's Prayer and make it a prototype of our prayer life. Two sections, adoration and supplication. Recognizing that from the beginning we needed correction in our perspective of how we look at God. He's our Father. Our Father. We need to see that that worshiping Him means recognizing Him as holy above all. His attribute and His name in our lives as we expend in this world to carry the name of Jesus Christ ought to be seen as holy. It's not your kingdom and your plans. Whose is it? Your kingdom come, not mine. Whose will is it? What's the exchange of the will? Your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. So we need to change how we think. That's how we need to pray. These little changes will make all the difference in our lives. But they will prevent us from becoming like Jesus mentioned in the context. Those who love to be seen by men and those pagans who think that God will listen if they just keep yapping. Number two is this. I think there's two primary sections here. As we, I've already outlined number one. It's a refocusing on God and his mission. That's the, that's the beginning of adoration. It's a refocusing on God. Do you need to refocus on God? I do. I still I still struggle. Emily and I were praying um, this last week, even like the video I showed you. And it was, it was kind of late at night. I, 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 while I'm praying. And then I looked at her and she's yawning too. And I think, oh man, I'm going to be confessing this in church. Yeah, I still have a lot of ways to go to work on recognizing that when I begin praying, it's a changing. That I would refocus my life on God. And not my desire's. But his desires, not my will, but his will, not waiting for heaven then, but let your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. That's this main section. The second section in prayer is this. It's a humble request of dependence. That's all humble requests of dependence. When do you need God? Why? Well, you know, I need God for this big thing coming up. You know what? You need God for right now. You need God for your next breath right now. Changing our focus to recognize that the promise has been for daily bread. That he will provide for us as we ask and come before him with humble requests. Not only for provision, but also for mercy. Who needs mercy? Any sinners in church today? Yeah, who needs mercy? That's right. So we pray, God, forgive us even as I do what? I forgive others. And then we need grace. We need him to do for us what we don't deserve. I don't deserve his love. You know what I deserve? I deserve the results of my evil decisions. That's what I deserve. But you know what? That ain't what I'm going to pray for. I'm praying for grace. I'm going to pray that God gives me his blessings beyond what I deserve. That he's merciful not to give me what I deserve. And that he's gracious to carry me further than I could ever walk on my own. Two sections. Refocusing on God and his mission. Humble request of dependence. And then allowing the Lord's prayer to be a prototype of prayer so that when we go to him, it's more than just our father who are in heaven. But we know what it is we're praying. I want to show you an example of that right now.
2: God, you are greater than anything this world has to offer. And I can't wait for you to come back and get us. But until that time comes, would you help me just to just to live my life day after day as if I'm just walking hand in hand with you? God, I, I have a lot of needs. And I have a lot of wants. And sometimes I get those things confused. Help me to just trust you to meet my needs. And be thankful when you give me those other things that I just want. God, I blown it so many times today and i'm sorry thank you for your forgiveness i don't take it for granted and god as i start this day out I, i'm just reminded that this world is filled with so many spiritual potholes please help me to walk in such a way where i won't stumble so much and as i'm going through this day god Help me to live my life in such a way that would bring you glory and honor. May the life that I live be a life of worship to you. Amen.
0: Was that helpful? You see how he followed the prototype of the Lord's Prayer and his prayer to God? You see how it wasn't filled with many words? It wasn't standing on a street corner to be seen by men? It was a humble prayer. It was a refocusing on God and his mission. I got two simple applications. Number one is this. I like you to change. If you have your own Bible and you're used to writing in your Bible, I like you to cross out the heading that says the Lord's Prayer. If you have a few Bible and a pen, cross that out too. That's fine. Cross out the Lord's Prayer because you know what? This isn't the Lord's Prayer, it's a disciple's prayer. This is the prayer for you and I to pray. It's not a prayer for Jesus to pray. It's a it's a prayer for you to pray. It's those followers. It's given to them, and it ought to be correctly. And actually, I think some more updated Bibles might have that recorded in there. The heading to say the disciples' prayer, even though we've learned it and it shows up in our bulletin, and it will from now on. I'm not changing it. Uh, it will say the Lord's prayer, but make it the disciples' prayer. Make this the prayer of those who follow Jesus Christ. And the second thing I want to ask our church to do, and this is going to be a little difficult. I'd like us to delete the pause. I'd like us to delete the section after we say, Thy will be done on earth. Get rid of that pause. Can we try that together? Um, uh, Let's start from, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. Let's try that one more time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We are, we're going to have to practice this. I, I know we're going to get it wrong because we're so used to doing it the other way. But that, I think that one little change, you just delete that pause right there and it's going to help a refocus us. That we'd be looking to change not in our, not in our, after our will, but change after his will. Not change after our desire to go after his desire. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Say that again. Your will be done on earth. Again, your will be done on earth. One more time. Your will be done on earth. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. We need to make this something that we pray from the heart and not from memory. Make the disciples' prayer a prayer from the heart and not from memory. Amen.